Hello and welcome. I'm Shannon Shotler, your host, and this is The Messy, Mucky Middle, a podcast dedicated to talking with real people about the most real parts of their life and career transition stories. Today, our guest is Marisa. Marisa is a writer and a relationship and dating coach. She works with women of color who want to start dating again after a divorce or the end of a significant relationship. She works with women to trust themselves again, love themselves, and create a new model for a deeply connected and healthy relationship. But what we want to talk about today is Marisa's time spent navigating that messy, murky, mucky middle period from leaving her career in semiconductor sales and returning to school back when she was 30. And I am really excited to hear this story because Marisa and I have been friends now, been getting to know each other for the last year, and I don't know this part of her story. So I'm so excited to hear more about this particular transition that you've experienced in your life. So this is Marisa's messy middle story. Thank you for being here with us. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So Marisa, transitions often begin at an ending. Can you give us some some context around what was ending in your life when this particular transition story begins? Yeah. You know, I think... I felt like my life at the time just had just two sole focuses. Um, I was working 60 hours, 60, 70 hour weeks. I don't even really know. Just an insane amount of hours. But and I was very focused on making money. I loved what I was doing, but it was just like, it was a grind and it took everything out of me. And at the same time, I was drinking in a bar every night to escape the 60 hour work week. And so what I felt like I was really letting go of was just what was feeling like a very empty life. Mm. Yeah. What I'm struck by in that is like empty on the inside, but yet so full from it, from a time perspective. Yeah. Just moving so quickly and not even, I mean, it's just, I, I definitely know that there was a moment where you just slow down and just say, what, what is this life about? And I started sitting, you know, just sitting in that question, you know, I was, I was raised by a single mom who came to, left home at 14, lived in Peru, came to this country and, you know, everything was focused about day-to-day survival. So the message that I always had was just go make money. Um, that was, that was what I needed to do. And so I did that at a really young age. I had a six figure gig very quickly. I bought a home in the right zip code. Like I had all these external things, but like inside I was starting to see like, is this what life is supposed to be? Is this, is this what it represents? And I knew, and so really it was like, I was searching for something more for myself. Mm -hmm. And how did you feel at that time when you were just starting to maybe begin to see that some things were wanting to end? I mean, really, really frightened, you know, just really, really scared. Like, because part of it is just, what am I leaving? You know, I mean, I worked hard for everything. It just, it didn't just come, you know? And so part of it is like, I think I, I, I think I'm leaving everything I know myself to be. Mm, Yeah. 
and right. leaving behind, I think too, what I heard you say, leaving behind some elements that you were raised with, you know, raised to like, you've got a good job and, you know, work hard and be happy about that. And really having to put some of those identities in pause or in question or leave entirely. Yeah. How understandable yeah. that would be frightening. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was just in some ways, it's like, am I willing to take a gamble on myself? And in that moment of like, you know, feeling and acknowledging the emptiness inside, wondering, am I willing to take an, a gamble on myself? Did you feel like you knew a, a quote unquote transition was starting or not really? It was like the, the it was, it's kind of like one of those moments where it's like, now that I've cracked open this idea or thought, living in the way I'm living no longer works. Oof. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. You yeah. can't look away. Right, right. And and it wasn't that I knew exactly, I didn't know where I was going next at that time. Yeah. Like I didn't know that I was returning to school at that moment. I just knew that my life needed to be different, but it was kind of like, it was just holding this idea that something's changed inside and you're, you're going to start, you're going to need to follow a different track. Yeah. So something, I feel like I already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask anyway, <laughs> confidence is often something that I see folks like longing for, or maybe even like expecting of themselves when they're embarking on transition. So a little bit here, I'm just wanting to check in with people and, and, and ask the question, did you feel confident as you started on this like new journey or path? So there was something that I said to myself that I can't, I can never like never forget because it's such a huge part of the story. But I, I just, I kept thinking if I could get to where I got to at this point with what I know now, imagine what I could do if I educated myself and, you know, in going back to school, if that, you know, is, is what I ended up doing. But also, ultimately, it was, look at how far you've got with what you know now. And can you imagine, you know, can you imagine like getting ed educated, but also I was, I was taking the metaphor of like of being a salesperson and just saying, what if you were selling something that you loved? What if you were selling something that your heart was in and that you were passionate about? And can you imagine how much better you could actually do? And so it was like, it was kind of pushing confidence into myself through this almost mantra that I created. It's like, just imagine the possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. So some almost like, yeah, pregnant possibilities or hopefulness in that. Right. Of just like, of, of just, you know, because my, I knew I was responding to a whisper. I always call it a whisper, but there was something inside me that I was responding to. And I really felt like I didn't know what I would call it. I still, you know, something at the deepest place in my heart. And so if I'm responding to that, imagine what's possible. That gave me confidence. Yeah. The hope or space for new vision I'm almost hearing of like, and the reassurance of your ability because you had gotten to where you were. So, so you have the abilities to get to a new place too. Yes. There was evidence, right? Yeah. And so there was, was holding on to that, holding on to that evidence and knowing that what I've done can be replicated in other ways, in other places. 
you know, I, I held that in my heart. Yeah. So we're going to shift gears here a little bit, but rest and reflection are two things mm-hmm. that I feel like I talk about until I'm blue in the face. <laughs> in terms of how, for you. I'm glad you're doing that. <laughs> in terms of how vital they are in these murky, messy middle seasons of life. And I'm curious, did you spend any time resting or restoring? Yeah, I was very intentional about the rest. And I, you know, I look back, I'm like, wow, how did you know? But um, I gave a gift to myself and I, I took a year off. I paid myself to travel and write and I traveled around the world for a year and wrote. And so it was a combination of rest, movement, and part of what I considered rest was creating a new relationship with myself. And this was a big thing for me in that I realized that I was living life off someone else's playbook and specifically my mother and my father's. And so it was like, this is what they told me to go do, go make money, go be a business person, go do, you know, and I'm like, okay, I go and do that. But my voice was never in that. And so part of like this, this time that I took for myself to kind of step out of the day-to-day world of, of, of go replace a job, go figure out what you want to do. It's like, I just want to find my voice. And I wrote numerous journals and I have, I have volumes as I traveled around the world and really got to know my voice, got to understand, you know, how I think of things. There was a lot going on in the world at that time, you know, the Bush years, Iraqi war, you know, and I'm like, what does all this mean? Mm. And I wanted to find my own, my own opinion on things. And I just felt like I was, I just needed to understand who I was and get to know, get to know myself better. And um, so that was the way I did that. Okay. Yummy, juicy, delicious. I am struck by your intuitive wisdom though, in that moment of like knowing that you needed to take time to rest. That's amazing, but not at all surprising knowing you. (laughs) So you take this time, you take a year off, you travel the world. And I think we get a sense of what reflection looks like for you in that time. You mentioned writing in numerous journals. How did that act of reflection help you clarify things? So in part, I was starting to just see I have a deep interest in the world that I, that I, I felt like I was, I was just living in this insular, you know, just like living for myself. It was very, like, it was very self-focused. I was drinking the, to the point of getting drunk, you know? And so part of it was just like, you know, wow, like I have, I never did well in school, but all of a sudden I'm like in Darwin's Galapagos, you know, just on these islands swimming with turtles and like, trying to understand the environmental impact um, of, you know, a George who was going extinct, you know, I mean, there was just all of a sudden there's just these world life questions that I never, that I never had an opportunity to contemplate. Um, I remember a friend I met, she, I didn't know what the EU was and she, she was in shock. (laughs) She's like, you're such a smart woman. Like, I I don't understand, but I'm like, I didn't read the paper. Like I, you know, and I mean, this was many years ago, but it was, I was embarrassed in some ways that mm-hmm. I was experiencing other cultures and granted I was communicating with people at the elementary points of language. So ego is getting cold. I can no longer sit behind 
the woman who had the right car, the right house, you know, all those things, all those surface level, it was just like me at my core. And so mm-hmm. I just started to really get an interest in what other people were doing, how people are living. I ended up studying global poverty. And so, and that was where that, where that started, where it's like, why are people living? Why are people living in the way they do? I spent time in my mom's home country in Peru and met family I had never met before, trying to understand our family history, you know? So it was, you know, there was just, it's just like, there's this whole world to experience and I wanted to be a part of it in a different way. Mm. Wanted to engage in a different way. Mm. One thing that you just said that I thought, oh, I wonder if that if being in relationship with other people or being in relationship with, with a, a broader range of people, lived experiences, et cetera, it sounds like that almost like sparked a, a question in you that wanted to get answered. You know, you said yeah. the, the, why, why does global poverty exist? I think was the question that you said earlier. Yeah. Does that ring true for you? Of like, it was, it was the result of those experiences that kind of led you to see where your natural curiosities went. Yeah, it absolutely does because it was just, it was connecting with people in worlds that you know, I never could imagine, mm. you know, um, meeting young women who's whole, you know, who were in the air force and, you know, um, their experience in the academy and what that was like, and just being in, a, you know, a completely different, just swimming in a whole different, you know, it's a whole different pool really. And so I was inspired by that, inspired by what other people were doing. And it was, it actually, it broke this frame, continued to break the frame of like, there isn't one way to live. Mm. So then shifting into what I think of as another critical element of transition, whether we do it consciously or not, I think of experimentation as another big part of transition. I'm curious, were there different possible selves or possible paths that you considered going down? Yeah, it's, I would create, it almost seemed like every month I created some new job for myself of like, oh, I think I'll try this or I think I could do that. But I was holding on to, I wanted to let myself go through the experience. Ultimately, I'm a writer through and through. That is what I was put on this planet to do. But it's like writing vocationally, you know, is, is not, you know, it's something I'm still, you know, I still grapple with. But the point was, it was just, you know, really thinking about, I, I finally got to the point where returning to school was what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so the first, I'd say, experiment around that was, this is so cliche, but I fell in love with a Roman man um, who, you know, lived in Rome, lived in Italy. And I planted myself there. I was like, I'm not I'm not a tourist. I can stay. I don't have to go to the next place. And so I explore the idea of going to school there and, you know, pursuing an education internationally. And it was really complex to do that, to figure that out. And I do complicate it really well, but (laughs) it became too complicated. (laughs) And so... So then it was, you know, kind of the returning home eventually. And it was, it it came to the point where it's like, okay, what are you going to do? And there were opportunities for jobs that it it just seems like, I don't know. I, I really 
feel into how the universe just kind of starts throwing things out. I think when you think of the book, The Alchemist, it's like when you're going towards your dream, other things come in, you know, is it, and, and that was it just offers for big jobs, all of these things. But I, um, I started taking classes at the community college where in the town I grew up in, and that was the beginning of really following through the, with the commitment of like education is something I value and I want to be a part of it. Yeah. So it sounds like some of the possible selves, I love what you said of like, there was a different one every month, which I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, yes. Like what a hallmark yeah. sign of a great transition. <laughs> so it sounds like some were writer, but you, you identified, well, that's always going to be a part of me, no matter what I'm doing. Uh, going back to school as a possible path. And then the, of course, the really appealing, like attractive job offers that come people's way. I'm so glad that you shared that because I think people have this in their mind sometimes like, oh, well, if I take a big break, no one will ever hire me again. And that's just so false. It's not true. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely, I, I see that for a lot of my clients too. It's, you'd be surprised, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, that fear that somehow you come, you come back some blank slate after the break and it's just like, no, you're still you. Yeah. People still know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So you have this big adventure experience for a year. You've rested, you've restored yourself, you've reflected, maybe done some experimenting with thinking of trying to go to school in Italy. That doesn't go the way that you want. Now you start narrowing in on what's next. You're taking classes at the community college in your hometown how did you know that that was like the quote unquote right next move for you? Mm. I would really say that there was an excitement level in me that mm. I that I feel when I experience new things. You know, um, I was excited about reading around like history that I didn't know. I was a terrible student. I mean. I eventually graduated with honors from Berkeley, but going through high school, I I can't even imagine what my ranking was. Like, I'm afraid to even look at it. But part of it was just being excited about knowledge, being excited about doing algebra and having a professor that was so like deeply like, I will teach you how to do calculus. I will take you all the way through. And I was like, he believes in me. I can do this. You know, it's like just nerding out on papers and taking them so seriously. And, you know, it was it. It became a job in some ways, but it was just like, I, I could feel my, I felt alive. Oh, I love that. And that was going to be my next question of like, how did you feel at this point? So it's excitement and alive. Yeah. Like energy, the way that I describe it sometimes is like energy is rising again. It sounds mm, like, it's I like love that. rising in you and coming back up after you've done the season of rest and reflect. Yeah. What was easier or harder than you expected when you first started down the path of going back to school? Mm. But I think the easy part was I kind of just fell into it. You know, I mean, the first day of school, I'm like wearing a suit to school. Like this is, you know, like as I was going to a meeting or something, you know, that that changed, you know, pretty quickly. But I think the ease and just the connection with my professors was really, you know, was nice. I felt connected again to a community. Um, it was, you know, it's just a small little school, you know, and so there was, there was just a, it felt easy for me to just kind of be there and do what I was doing. The difficulty had to do with, well, so this takes us back a little bit, you know, 
a lot of people have returned to school and gone through this journey. But at the time I was doing this, being 30 and trying to go the traditional route of I'm not taking night classes, I'm not doing, you know, a I was doing a traditional degree. And so part of it was just my peers are 18, you know, and all of a sudden I I started to just I there was a lot of doubt. You know, I would get A's on my papers and I would say, oh, the professor just feels sorry for me. You know, and I was carrying, I was carrying a big, a big feeling like, I don't know if I belong here. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad we're touching on that because that was going to be my next question. Was there ever a point where you doubted, where you thought like, oh shit, maybe this isn't the path. Yeah. Yeah. And, And what did you do then? I mean, part of it was really was again, trying to collect evidence. Okay. Not everybody's being kind, you know, like not, this is not the way it works, you know? And so it was just, it was, it was just continuing to class after class, semester after semester. But I think, I think that, and this may have happened more around when I got to Berkeley because Berkeley was, you know, I'm now in the midst of very serious students who've been working to this point their entire life, have been shaped to this point. And so transfer students are looked upon in a certain way. And so at that level, to deal with doubt, I connected with the community and the resources that Berkeley provided us with. And so there's a community there that the reentry center, I get chills every time I talk about it because they they were just they were waiting there with their arms out saying, we want you to be successful and we know what your doubts are. We know what your fears are. We know that you don't feel like you belong here, but we're here to like support you. There were classes every week. And so for me, leaning on community like that was, was very new, but it eased a lot of doubt and yeah. really was a big part of me continuing on. Yeah. So leaning on the support to get you through those moments. And I'm hearing this theme of looking for evidence, like challenging the evil, nasty little gremlin in the corner of the mind and looking for evidence that, I don't know, maybe it's not true. Maybe, maybe I can do this. Maybe I do belong here. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you have moments where you, you know, like, yeah, I do belong. You know, it's start, you, you get moments of it. We're not going to be a hundred percent all the time, right? We don't, it, there's always that little whisper, but yeah, I found my way. Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah. So shifting gears again, let's talk about the human side of this time in your life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we think transitions are kind of like a time where we can't really learn anything. This is what I this is what I see or hear in clients sometimes. We're like, oh, well, I can't really learn anything because I'm in between two things. And I just think that's total crap. <laughs> I think transitions are a time where we're learning a whole new set of identities, perhaps of skills or behaviors that we maybe haven't used before, but I want to give evidence to other folks that, that this is true through other people's lived experience. So I'm curious from your lived experience of moving through this transition, what new skills or ways of being would you say that this time cultivated in your life, the time of being in between? I think there is something about, I don't know if this is a skill, Shannon, I think, but what's coming up for me right now is just, I had to be okay with sitting in uncertainty and not entirely knowing the exact outcome. 
I think that's a skill. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think okay. that's a skill. Dealing with ambiguity, that's a skill. Yes. Yeah. And so it's just, there's going to be so many scary moments. And, you know, how do I, how do I, how do I live in those and, and just kind of feel into uncertainty, you know, scary new steps, you know, I remember, gosh, all of a sudden I thought about this of just being asked to speak on a panel one day. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why would you want to talk to me? Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, because these students are exactly like you, they're just not here yet, but you, you have something to share with them. And so just being terrified in that moment. And it's like, just share your story. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and just, and, and so part of, you know, there was just, I don't know, I guess I'm going to the outcome of it just pushed me to take risks, but it's, there was something about learning that in these uncertain moments, um, it's kind of when I start to take bigger risks. Yeah. So I'm hearing like the being able to be with ambiguity and also the risk-taking, like to me, that's another learned behavior skill, yeah. being comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, anything else that you feel like you had to learn or unlearn about yourself as you navigated mm -hmm. this time? Yeah. Um, I definitely needed to learn to trust myself. Um, that's such a big part of it because a lot of people had a lot of things to say about what I was doing. Um, the transition, why do you even need to go to school when you already have what everybody wants in the end? <laughs> yeah. And it's, there was like, there were a lot of assumptions why I was doing it. Why can't you just take, you know, the, I don't know, a university track where it's just like a fast track while you work. Why, why do you have to do it this way? And there was something in me that, that really believed I needed this experience. You know, it's like the gap year that 18 year olds go in the traditional education. Like, and I had to trust myself that what I knew was the right way. And, and that, that continues to, you know, that continues to serve me as of just of being able to trust the voice inside my body. Things. Yeah. How easy or hard was it for you to find community? through this time? It was difficult. You know, mm -hmm. my friendships changed. Um, things changed a lot, you know, of, you know, because I was in an industry that everybody was so successful, but most people hadn't gone to school, you know, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of folks like us. And so it was just, it was kind of like, you know, feeling, just feeling disconnected. You know, um, my family, I was the first person in my family to go to college. And so that was, there was, I didn't have a connection of how to navigate this terrain. I had to figure it out. And so, so there was just, there was, there was just a lot of, lot of relationships that ended. I'm not partying in the bar like I used to, you know, and no judgment on that, you know, but it's just, it was kind of like, it was, it, it just became different. And so community at, you know, like I said, my peers are much younger than me. People are not, you know, so my community became my professor's office hours of connecting with, you know, with them and talking about what I wanted to do. Um, but I actually met my husband during this time. Oh, yeah. How did and you guys was, meet during all of this? Yeah, it's kind of crazy, but I had been dating someone 
you know, before I left to Berkeley, you know, kind of back home and, um, and we were together for a year and, you know, and that was, you know, as I'm engaging in different things, you know, our relationship started to get challenged. And so I broke up with him one afternoon and was crying that evening. My friend in San Francisco was having a party and my mother was like, wipe your tears, get on the bar, go to the party and go have fun. Just go have a good time. And sitting at the bar at this birthday party, our mutual friend was Christopher. And we, um, we met that night, had an incredible, an incredible conversation about everything, all the things like there, there's so much to the story, but jumping to it's, he was working for Greenpeace at the time. Our politics were similar. We were arguing about Obama and Hillary and who should go first (laughs) and, you know, that whole thing. And we were engaged three months later, Shannon. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That was 15 years ago this month. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, So, I mean, talk about community. I mean, just to answer your question, it was like, I found, I found him, you know, like in this transition, it was just like, this is, he's my people. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm so glad we're touching on this because I think it's an element of transition. That's not often talked about of like the, the shifts in community, friendships, relationships, and the grief in that, but also the like joy of finding people who are finally like, your people. Frequently, yeah. like I think about how we met at, a, 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 I'll simplify it to a coach training for lack of a better word. Yes. And that, I know for me, that feeling has always been prevalent when I walk into a coach training room, you know, it's like, oh, these are my people. Like there are humans in the world who are like this, who care yeah. about the things that I care about. And it sounds like you had that experience of meeting Christopher, like, oh my gosh, wait, there are people who value the things that I value after all that time you spent reflecting to clarify, you know, like what is really important to me. And now they get to be your people. And that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I love to think back of the moment we met, you know, and it's because I don't think we spent a lot of time talking to each other during the the training. There was one particular time I remember, but there was something about afterwards, I just, I felt like I needed to reach out to you. And there was something in that connection that I'm like, I, there's something about this woman that I need to know more about. And it was just little kernels that get dropped, you know, and then you realize, yeah, she, she's going in the same direction I am in some ways. Mm-hmm. Appreciation. I feel the same about you. Mm-hmm. Would you say you're still in a messy middle of sorts? <laughs> So obviously this middle was a long time ago, but like, I'm just curious, what what do you make that question? Um, Yeah. You know, I can't say I fully, you know, as much as the untangling of the money felt real at the time, there's still, there's still a lot of that that I'm working through. Part of that is, you know, you and I understand somatics. And so, you know, right now I'm working with a somatic therapist talking about, how some of these money issues or ideas that I carry are not mine. Mm. They come, they're ancestral, they're generational, you know, they're, they're somebody else's. And so how, how I was talking about like rewriting the playbook that I was given for my family, I'm still, I'm still dealing with, you know, I'm, I'm 
building my coaching business and expanding that. And part of it is really trying to say, what does success mean to me as a business owner? What does that look like? How do we like take revenue out of, you know, the top priority? And so I'm still in that middle of transition. I'm still, I'm still navigating through, um, you know, just, I want to say, you know, a generational um, survival, understanding of survival that is still, that I'm still unpacking. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad we're touching on this too, because I think that can be, uh, transitions are constant in our life. And sometimes I remember my coach saying this to me and it was so freeing. She's like, Shannon, some things might always be your work. Like Mm. might not get resolved in this transition. It might be like the blip in the, the listeners can't see my hand right now, but like, I'm making like a circle pattern and it might be the same blip that you bump up against in every transition in your whole life. Um, And that doesn't make you bad, what wrong, whatever. It's just, it's your work in the world. It's it's your work to do for you on this field, on this plane. So I really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing that. Like that might just always be part of the transition puzzle for you. Yeah, I think so. And so it's just, it's kind of like, as you, as you continue taking risks, things like that show up, but sometimes in a slightly different way. And so I think that's what I'm, that's what I'm seeing now. Yeah. Well, what would you want others to know who may be going through or considering a similar transition? Hmm. I think the biggest thing is, but I want someone to know, I think I'm going to answer this in slightly a different way, but it's more of like advice, trust yourself Hmm. and keep finding ways to trust yourself. Because I think, you know, I always talk about the voice inside or call it a whisper because it doesn't come loud and, you know, but there's something in that. And I think part of it in transition is to continue to let that whisper get louder, you know, let let that voice get louder because part of the transition, I think, is letting go of the voices in your head that are from somebody else. So it's like, for me, it was my mom, you know, and like I described earlier, but for others, it's like, sometimes we even create people who are like, this isn't the right way to go. You know, what is this person going to say? How do I present myself in this new version of me? What, you know, what are people going to say? And so I think part of that dealing with some of that is like, as you trust yourself more, those voices start to silence. Those voices start to get less. I think it's holding on to the decision that you made that you're going to start down this path and trust that you know what's best for you. Mm. Trust that you know what's right for your life, Mm. Um, that you're responding to a call that is very real and true. Yeah. How did you cultivate that self-trust? I mean, in part, it was that, it was the deep journaling I was doing. I mean, that was the beginning like really, of really feeling into my voice of, of what felt true to me. It was, it was, tra- it was changing the relationship I had with myself, how I talked to myself, how I looked at myself in the mirror, holding my heart, you know, all of those things, believing in what I was moving towards. You know, I mean, I talked about Christopher and it's just kind of a, fun, but it's like, what did I know at three months to say, of course, I'll marry you. You know, what, did, <laughs> what, what did I know? Like, you know, and but I trusted myself then, 
Like something's driving that. Yes. Something, you know, something that, you know, at a deep place, move towards it. Yeah. So building relationship with yourself first and foremost through, and for you, that was through journaling so that I'm almost envisioning it like, so that you can hear the voice. So the voice is whispering at a level that you can hear it. And the other voices get a little bit quieter. So it's like, finally, okay, we get to turn up the dial. We can hear this voice. Reminds me of something that I saw on Instagram the other day. I don't remember who this came from. Maybe this feels related. Maybe it doesn't. But the woman said she had to make herself unavailable for that, which was toxic in her life so that she could become available for herself. I love that. Yeah. And I'm almost hearing that a little bit in your story, even if it's just being unavailable for the toxic voices in your head or the literal people, if that's the case, um, so that you can be a little bit more available to hear the voice of you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what do you sense or, or know is most important to you now at this new point in your life? At this point in my life, connection is really important to me. Deeper connection with, I mean, not only myself in, you know, daily practices and all those things, connection to my body, that Mm -hmm. desire is much, you and I have talked about that, but just, it's a lot stronger than it ever was. Like, how do I tap into a full sense of me, connection with my family and, you know, of course with Christopher, but, you know, just a deeper connection in the world of how I connect with clients, how I participate in my community. All those things are really, really important to me now in a deeper way. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Mm -hmm. for sharing this one story with us and opening up others so that others might see your messy middle. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, there you have it, folks. Here's the three things I'm taking away from this episode. First, I love how Marisa talked about looking for evidence that you can make shifts. I'm sure you've got plenty of evidence. You've been successful before and you can do it again. Second, whose playbook am I living from? This question has come up in so many interviews and I wanna do some reflection for myself on what parts of my life might still feel driven by someone else's agenda besides my own. It's so important we turn down the voices outside of us so we can hear the true voice inside ourselves. Third, what is the question inside of you that longs to be answered? How might that guide you towards what wants to come next in your life? For Marisa at the time, the question was, why does global poverty exist? How does that happen? Man, do I want to sit with this idea of looking for the questions that long to be answered inside me. Now for a sneak peek. Next week, I'm sharing my interview with Angie about the messy middle that followed her meeting a lifetime goal of obtaining a PhD and then wondering what's next. Angie is one of my all-time favorite humans in the entire planet, and I know you'll fall in love with her too. Last but not least, if you think this episode might resonate with a friend, please do share it with them. And if you like my energy, I'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast, connect with me on Instagram, or learn more about my work at shannonshotler.com. Until next time, go forth into your very own messy middles with courage 
and compassion.